welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana, and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. Okay, well, well this, this morning's, morning's message, message uh, I tried to make it short because I thought we might have some other things that took up some time. So, uh, we are looking at this morning's Advent passage. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, and Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so as Christians, this season where we celebrate the coming or arrival of Jesus, God, with us. Now, throughout church history, God's people have formed their yearly calendar Essentially beginning with Advent, if you look at the liturgical, the liturgical calendar, this is actually the beginning of the year, last Sunday, for the church. In Bobby Gross's book, Living the Christian Year, Bobby states that the point of living the Christian year is both to remember and to anticipate. To remember, remember who God is, remember who he has made us to be, who he's called us to be, remember who we chose to be instead, often. Remember what he has promised or covenanted with his people, what he's foretold throughout the prophets, and how he's preserved us and been faithful to us despite our lack of faith. And how he has ultimately made a way, made a way through Jesus. And yet, we are also to anticipate. So remember looking back, but anticipate looking forward. Anticipate his return, his final consummation and restoration of all things. No more tears, no more death, no more chaos, no more division. It's the future hope of the resurrection and restoration that invigorates resurrection life into our lives today. Eugene Peterson wrote about the future coming into the present. He said, I finally got it. End time influences present, ordinary time. Not by diminishing or denigrating it, but by charging it, filling it with purpose and significance. The end time is not a future we wait for, but the gift of the fullness of time we receive in adoration and obedience as it flows into the present. Again, Bobby Gross writes, Advent is a season for waiting. We wait for the coming of God. Kids, maybe even adults, if you're like me, we wait for presents, we wait for good food, we wait for family to return home from college break, or family to come in town. We wait. We wait for the coming of God, we need Him to come. Our world is messed up and we are messed up. We lament our condition and long for God to set things right, to make us better. And so we pray and watch for signs of His presence. We do all we know to do so that we are open and ready. In the midst of hardship and disappointment, we continue to wait. We wait in hope. We believe that something is happening in our world, something is taking shape in our lives, something large, light-filled, and life-giving. And so even in December's lengthening darkness, this seed of joyful hope grows within us. In our waiting, we are enlarged. God is coming. 
And so as we look to this morning's passage, in particular Luke's introduction of John the Baptist, we're going to see that this anticipation of Christ's coming calls us to prepare. Hence, the song, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room. In this morning's passage, we're going to look at, I've got three points. We'll see that as both the prophecies declared and John called his hearers to prepare the way of the Lord. So first, God has prepared a way through history. Then God is calling us to prepare a way for him. And lastly, God has prepared the way through Jesus of Nazareth. First, God has prepared a way through history. Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where... I don't want to say you've arrived, because I don't know that we've ever arrived in this life, but where you get to a place you've, you've, and you realize you've been ascending up a hill or out of a valley, and you get there to a plateau, a lookout point in your life, and you, and you look back and you're able to see that's what God is doing. That's, that's how far he just took me. That's how low I was. That was the trail that I traversed. Have you ever looked back and seen that on your life? Seen how God had been planning, plotting your course for months, years, perhaps even decades or generations before you? Similar to how the Marvel Cinematic Universe plotted the trajectory of their film slates for their first 10 years, slowly developing and unfolding all these plot points and characters, their intricate and detailed storyline that would eventually culminate in this two-part epic Avengers movie, uh, so much more so has God intricately woven the story of redemption and the restoration of all things through Jesus within human history itself. Uh, this pains me to say that as more of a DC Comics fan, but it's not, God's not like that kind of writer where he's like letting things happen and then on the back end trying to put it all together. Those of you who watch uh, these superhero movies more know he is much more intricately thorough and a planner and he has woven it in his story of redemption. Now, for much of the Old Testament, the people within the story couldn't see it. They didn't have a full picture of what was to come. Even the people often prophesying of the coming Messiah, they didn't get it. And then even the disciples, when Jesus is with them, and even after Jesus died and at some point even resurrected, there are some who still don't get it. They don't see it yet. They haven't grasped the full picture yet. Only a few had a glimpse. And God spoke through the prophets of old, foreshadowing snapshots or post-credit scenes of what was to come. But again, they're just little previews. They're not the full storyline. As we looked at in 1 Peter a few weeks ago, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, Peter writes, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and iniquity, inquir and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, but us, in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit. They had a taste or a glimpse. But we who are on the other side of the resurrection, we have this privilege, this blessing, 
of being able to look back and see the, the intricate, small and large plot points of Jesus, of God throughout human history, all the way back to his covenant with Abraham and Sarah. Now, prior to the resurrection, humanity had little to no idea what was going on behind the scenes. But now we can see, not entirely, but much more clearly, what God was doing and what he is doing. And the final book of the Hebrew Scriptures is the book of Malachi that Kathy R. read, uh, the passage that Kathy R. read. It's projected to have been written uh, anywhere from 500 B.C. to 430 B.C. That, That means at least 460 years before the man Jesus walked the face of the earth or before this passage is being realized, and before John the Baptist is going to fulfill this passage. Now, Malachi prophesies this. He's foretelling what John the Baptist, we read him say in Luke 3. And he also foreshadows some of what Jesus would do. Similarly, in Luke's passage, John the Baptist is quoting the prophet Isaiah, which is similar, but even much more so. That passage took place up to at least 800 years prior. And so we see, even in just those two examples right there, that for centuries, God had been laying the groundwork for his storyline of redemption to be fulfilled. For me, this is something that helped bring me to faith, that I I couldn't explain how these prophecies worked and how they would then be, many of them, be fulfilled already in the incarnation of Jesus. This is one of the incredible ways that God has worked through prophecies spoken through a very select people foretelling things that would come years, generations, centuries from now and that would later come to fulfillment in Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. And yet we're still waiting, but I think the fulfillment of these helps us hold fast to the promises of God for our future now. So Malachi is telling us what's going to happen, except he doesn't say when or how long it will be. So for centuries, the Hebrews are kind of left in the dark. This unfulfilled promise. But as Chance the Rapper said, the book don't end with Malachi. God didn't leave us there. There's a second testament, the New Testament. God didn't leave us in the prophets. In the prophets. He brought us one final prophet, one final ultimate prophet. John the Baptist. So in Luke's biography of Jesus' life, we are introduced to John the Baptizer. So I'm going to look, walk us through Luke 3 briefly. Starting in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the, of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He's introduced just as the, the prophets of old were, were introduced. Jeremiah, Malachi, all these different, uh, Micah, all these different prophets, when you look them up in the Old Testament, these are how they're introduced. But for centuries, God's been silent. And now Luke introduces John the Baptist in a similar way, placing him on a level playing field, equating him with their uh, prestige and place. And notice how many characters, this is cool, that Luke is referencing here. 
This is what distinguishes, again, the Bible, the story of Jesus. It is rooted in history. It distinguishes Jesus from other Greek myths of that day, and so on. That no, he is referencing at least seven different historical figures that help us place the timing of this, that help us place Jesus, that God has prepared a way in history. And this is because Luke is a historian. The Spirit of God had Luke record the life of Jesus in such a detail-oriented fashion. That of a, a prestigious journalist who is citing multiple sources, confirming them, walking around, checking, and double-checking, and triple-checking. This, again, is something that distinguishes our faith. Over and over again, God's story is proven to be rooted in history, and therefore validating its historicity. It's not merely a myth or legend, but rooted in space and time. For us, looking back at our lives, can we see how our story is rooted in space and time? Can we see the hand of God? Can we see the tiny or significant plot points of God's story of redemption in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own families or workplaces or communities? Can we look back and, and from, from the top of the mountain and, and look back at the trail and see, wow, God brought us here. I used to be way down there, or we used to be there, but man, he brought us here. Now, sometimes you might be at a point where if, if, if you've watched, I mean, if you've read Lord of the Rings, but in particular the visualization in The Return of the King, but even throughout all three movies, the journey that they have to go sometimes the way forward is back. Sometimes the way up, you have to go down. Sometimes the way to ascend the mountain, you have to go down a decline and around and through dark turns, uncertain trails. Perhaps you may be in there, but can you see the light of redemption looking back in moments and seasons of your life? The next point, God is calling us to prepare a way for him. So what is the meaning? Uh, Cyril of Alexandria wrote this. What is the meaning of prepare the way of the Lord? It means make ready for the reception of whatever Christ may wish to do. Make ready for the reception of whatever Christ may wish to do. Now, if you've ever been blessed to, you know, have house guests or anything like that, um, and I'm thinking a lot of us might have some sort of party or house guest at some point this season, uh, potentially, what do we do when we're anticipating them coming or someone new coming to stay with us or live with us? I, I don't know if it's just me. I'm a, I am somewhat of an OCD clean freak, but uh, you're like, yeah, you've heard about my pantry, huh? Um, but no, uh, <laughs> sorry, candidate. But no, no, what do we, we do? do? We clean, right? We, we prepare. We, we prepare the room for them. We prepare the space for them. We, we, all that junk we've been leaving on the counters and we've been saying every night, we're going to get to it, we're going to get to it. It gets thrown into that junk drawer. And so our counter looks clean. You laugh because we just did that, huh? Um, we prepare, though. We prepare a comfortable place, a place, an environment that we want to welcome someone. When my parents come, we do this. Often, they often come and visit us, and whenever we know they're coming, uh, one time they came without us knowing, and uh, I was a little like, oh no, 
the house is chaotic. They knocked on the door 600 miles away from where they lived, and they're just like, we're here. And I'm like, no, because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. Or perhaps some of us who have kids away at school. Uh, when, for us, I mean, when we moved here, you know, Gracie hadn't been here in our home yet. Gracie is our oldest daughter, for those of you who don't know. But, um, you know, so for us, when she was coming home for the first time here, we wanted to welcome her. And so we strived to, I think we put her room together before ours. Because we were like, no, we want her to feel home, welcomed, accepted. This is a place that she is at ease. That there is a place for her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Beach Verhey wrote, Advent, John reminds us, is a time to prepare to welcome Jesus and not simply our invited Christmas house guests. We are called to prepare a way for him, as John is saying here, prepare the way for him. She continues, the Advent preacher Quoting John the Baptist will challenge people to a different kind of preparation, one that calls them to examine their lives, their values, and their priorities. If worshipers are rightly to prepare to receive the Prince of Peace at Christmas, they must be willing to go through the detailed preparation process just as they do when planning for company at home. Now, outside the church, she says, people are drinking eggnog with their neighbors, singing along with Bing Crosby in the elevator, and hanging the popcorn garland on their Christmas trees, but in worship, the people of God hear the challenging words of John the Baptist calling for a different kind of preparation. John's challenge is to repent and prepare. True repentance means literally to change one's mind, turn around, reorient oneself. John calls all people to turn to God and from sin, to seek God's forgiveness and to prepare the way of the Lord. And an origin of old uh, from the first couple of centuries, he wrote, I believe that the mystery of John is still being achieved in the world today. If anyone is going to believe in Christ Jesus, John's spirit and the power first come to his soul and prepare a perfect people for the Lord. It makes the ways in the hearts rough places smooth and straightens out its paths. Are you preparing for Jesus' coming in this season? For his advent? What has been the focus of already these couple weeks of advent for you? Is it preparing for our Christmas shopping list? Um, which can be overwhelming, right? Is it preparing for house guests, parties, events, things of that sort, maybe finals? What are we focusing on this season? While Jesus has already come, Advent is an annual season, an opportunity for each of us to prepare a way for Jesus in our hearts, minds, and lives. Are we preparing for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the light of the world, God's presence among us? Letting the peace of God rule in our hearts here and now, easing our anxieties of this season, comforting our mourning, and loneliness in this season, filling our emptiness in this season. And for those of you who perhaps know about Jesus but don't actually know him, 
How might God be calling you to prepare a way for him in your life? What sin, perhaps, is getting in the way of following Jesus? What are you, perhaps, holding on to that you ought to surrender to God? Are you angry with God about how your life's turned out or, or the hurts he's allowed, maybe doubting his goodness? What are you seeking joy or fulfillment, hope or meaning in that truly can only be found in God? Through John's words, the Holy Spirit is calling us to repent, turn from those ways, and prepare for a new way. Because here's the good news, final point. God has prepared the way through Jesus of Nazareth. Now, throughout church, church history, the significance of the Christmas tree, where this came from, um, the importance of it was that, in, in particular in Northern Europe, um, but similar, I think we can relate somewhat, that as the days get dark, and as the green fades, and the trees get barren and desolate, life itself in vegetation seems gone. For them, the Christmas tree, the pine tree, was something that for some reason still thrived. The green was still um, piercing through the darkness and coldness of the winter. Christopher Hill writes, the strange survival of summer greens in snows has always been a sacrament of the hope for new life through winter. And winter can be like that, right? There's a, there's a winter chill, the darkness, the freeze, that, that understanding that we have to and will get through this, but at the same time, because of the cold and darkness, we have a difficult time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. When it's, when it's 4.30 and it feels like it's 9 o'clock, that can be draining. How do you even finish your work day, let alone go home and do what you do at home? It's taxing. But God has made a way for us in Jesus. A way not simply through the coldness of winter, nor simply through the coldness that we will assuredly face in our own lives, but through the coldness of our depravity, both individually and as all of creation, through the coldness of our hearts. Hebrews 10, 19-23, the writer writes, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, do you have that confidence? Notice what it's by. It's not by anything you're doing. It's not by anything you've done or anything you haven't done. Since we have confidence to enter before God by his blood, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. In John, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Ephesians, Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. The promises of old have been fulfilled in Christ's advent nearly 2,000 years ago. 
We can look back and remember that, but we can also look forward and anticipate. And in this overlap of the ages, in this time where the kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully here, that we are saved, but we are still being saved. That we have been changed, but we're still being changed. That we've been made new, but are still being made new. We can hold to this promise. To wrap up, Bobby Gross, again, the, the author of Living in the Christian Year, writes regarding the promises of God in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus. He says, from our perspective now, we see that these vast promises were all fulfilled in Jesus, and yet not fully fulfilled. He announced a kingdom at hand, and yet spoke of a reign to come. He gave his life as a ransom for many, yet pointed to a day of salvation in the future. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, yet pledged to return one day on the clouds. We who belong to him are a new creation, yet we simultaneously groan for the day when the whole cosmos will obtain with us the freedom of glory. So we find ourselves in this time of now and not yet to come. Advent then dramatizes this tension for us. The hope of ancient Israel resonant in us and amplify our, hope, our own hopes as we wait for the full redemption to come. And I love this line from him. The great symphony of Christ begins in this season and the strains of the overture already anticipate the soaring crescendo. Hmm. What's a practice from the way of Jesus that we can take on as we continue forward in Advent towards Christmas? Well, regarding entering the Advent season, as well as allowing the season to enter us, uh, I'm going to just use Bobby's, uh, Bobby Gross's uh, suggestions. He writes, give yourself permission to sing and permission to groan. Remember that the sweet taste of shalom during Advent is only that, a taste. It's not the full feast yet to come. And the groans induced by our sufferings are not the final sounds. One day they will be subsumed into a chorus of glory. So sing and let your songs be joyful longings. Groan and let your cries be hopeful laments. And then practice-wise, he encourages us to retreat. And by retreat, um, a spiritual practice throughout the ages has been the practice of retreat, meaning uh, often it's Jesus, he, he retreated to a quiet place, to a lonely place, to the desert, similar to where we started today with John the Baptist. A place of quiet where he can escape from the noise and be with God. And in this noisy season where Christmas music is always playing, where there's always something to do, the list is always two scrap, pieces of scrap paper long or, or an Apple note, just way too long that you're never going to open, whatever it may be, I encourage you, retreat. Whether it be a couple hours in your week by yourself, find a place, find a coffee shop, whatever that place may be, for, I'm weird that I like to be alone in a very loud place. Um, it's it's kind of odd, but I like to be drowned out in that noise because for some reason I'm able to do that. But there's other people who love to go out to the wilderness. There's some people who love to go on a hike and just sit with God. 
Sometimes I like to go drive and park my car somewhere where I'm not even going to hear the sound of the, just the sound of the wind. But find a pocket of time, retreat, be with him, remind yourself of what this season is about. Prepare these, these little moments of retreat, these little opportunities of retreat are opportunities, they're avenues to welcome, prepare the way of Jesus in your heart and life, and in particular in this season. Retreat from the noise of the season that we may take in the silent night. Retreat from the busyness of the season that we may in our heart prepare him room. I'm going to invite the band up. As we uh, move into our time of reflection and response, giving and singing, I want to encourage you again with what, what we do in this time. Prayerfully reflect. And where is the Holy Spirit calling you to prepare Christ's room in your lives in this time? Is it perhaps canceling some things on your schedule? Is it spending more time with your family or friends? Is it creating time to spend with God himself. And then uh, from there, I encourage you, if God's convicting you of anything, confess. He is faithful to forgive your sins. And then we invite you to give sacrificially that our mission at LifeBridge would go forward and sing. Sing out to God. Sing whether uh, joyful songs or songs of lament and mourning we encourage you to sing he is worthy of our praise let's sing thanks for tuning in to the lifebridge podcast for more information about our church please visit lifebridgedover.org There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship, or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.